I think it's maybe a better way of, of answering the question. My advice for anyone, a B2B brand on TikTok is, hey, if you are discovering from your sales or CS team that like you have a customer or some customers that are starting to share you, like who you are on TikTok, go talk to those customers and work with them and figure out if you can get them to do more of it. You're listening to the Paris Talks Marketing Podcast, where we interview top marketing leaders at high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. Our goal with this podcast is to cut through the fluff and jargon of digital marketing to reveal what's really working at some of the fastest growing, most successful SaaS companies today. The Paris Talks Marketing Podcast is sponsored by Hop Online, a performance growth marketing agency. If you like this episode and would like to have a similar conversation with someone at our agency, just go to hop.online, H-O-P, Dot online and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, let's get into the episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, I'm with Dan Murphy, and Dan is a marketer who currently runs marketing at Privy. He's also worked at Drift and Onshape and HubSpot, and he is a product marketing guru, has built some high-performing marketing teams at all those different organizations. So Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Same here. Let's get right into product marketing. This seems to be your forte. You've written a lot about it, even developed courses about it. What is it about product marketing? What are some of the primary insights that you've gleaned into product marketing throughout your experience at these different companies? First of all, I think we've seen in the last 24 months or so that product marketing, or even maybe let's say last three years, product marketing has become much more of a focus of high growth companies. And a lot of teams are seeing the value. I think there was a time when I was getting into product marketing seven, eight years ago where it was, you know, oh yeah, that's an important, it helps us with our messaging. It helps us with our positioning. Oh, we need them to launch our products and work with our sales team and do competitive intel. But like, it was kind of these scattered different functions. And I feel like over the last 24 months, they've like product marketing has kind of had, it's has been brought into the spotlight of, of a real revenue driving force within your go-to-market. And yeah, I think that's one of my key observations as of late is just, it's, it's great to see. It's, I can say that too, because it's impossible to hire in product marketing right now for B2B SaaS, or it has been for the last two years or so. I've tried to hire in product marketing and a couple of times I've failed because it's, it's just so difficult to hire right now in product marketing. Um, and I have a pretty good, you know, reputation in that, in that world. So I imagine a lot of people are, are you know, uh, struggling too. So yeah, I'd say it's, you know, I think people have realized like the revenue acceleration that product marketing can bring and the, you know, the value of a good product marketing function within your B2B marketing team and what it can do to help drive the business. Can you help me understand and our listeners how product marketing is different from other types of marketing that you think about? So. I don't know, ac- acquisition marketing or life cycle marketing or brand marketing. What is it that makes product marketing unique from those other types of rules? Yeah, I mean, I think it's at the core, the name, it's like marketers that are doing product marketing are going to specialize in identifying the fit with your product and your customers and, and spending, you know, a lot of their brain power trying to enable those teams you just referenced or those adjacent colleagues around them with what they're understanding between the the, the magic of, of product and, and, uh, and your customer. So I think product marketing, hopefully at your company has more 
time and bandwidth to go deeper and spend the brain power and understanding what it is your customers love about your product, why they're buying, what features they're using, why they're choosing you over the competitor and all that insight. Like, I think it's just, if you're taking that insight, you're bundling that up, you're working with your demand gen team, for instance, on your campaigns or your content team or your brand marketing team. And you're infusing that information from product marketing into the rest of those functions, they're going to be a lot more successful bottom line. And I think it took a little while for CEOs and executives and even CMOs and, and VPs of, of marketing to realize how valuable that is, that, that function of product marketing enabling the team around them. But now I think they do see that. And, and now I think we've seen a lot of companies that have been very successful the last couple of years have been smart about investing into product marketing. Yeah. And at what point in, let's say, in a startup SaaS company's journey, is it the right time to bring on the first product marketing person? Yeah. I mean, if you're fortunate enough that you can do it, you know, a single product marketer early, like as soon as you have product, like product management, a product manager, I think that's probably going to be ideally in that early stage company, you have a product manager and a product marketer working very closely. Product management is worried about building. Working with customers, product marketing is worried about knocking down walls for the sales team, developing that positioning and messaging, getting to that product market place. I don't think product marketing is a place you invest early until you get, uh, sorry, it's not a place you scale early. You know, I think that, you know, you probably can get pretty far with one really solid person in that role and, and working closely with sales and product and marketing and probably customer success when you start building up that function. But I would say, I mean, the earlier, the better. Now the, the problem is most companies, there's so many other roles. You have to hire sales, you have to hire engineers, you have to hire product managers. You want to hire demand gen, you want to start building some content, you know, like there's other areas of marketing that you end up investing in first, but the earlier, the better. And yeah. And what was your first real exposure to product marketing? Was it was it the HubSpot days or, or Drift or another place? Yeah, I, I went to go intern at HubSpot a long time ago. It feels like a really long time ago now. And uh, they, I didn't know what product marketing was. I was there to do videos. And I, my background was all video production. And I was making like screen capture type videos for this product marketing team. I had no idea what, what there's product managers and product marketers. And I didn't, what's the difference? And, you know, I just... I didn't understand it. And I was making product videos, like I said, screen capture kind of animation about the HubSpot platform, email and CMS and all this other stuff. And, uh, and yeah, and, and I realized, I think that's probably my first impression of like, wow, it's so important for like every product marketing manager on that team is probably about 12 people total on the product marketing team. HubSpot was maybe 600 employees, 700 employees, something like that. So a pretty decent sized product marketing team for the size of the company. But every single one of them was like glued at the hip to a product manager. They actually sat next to each other. Like I would go out to wander around, find people across the HubSpot offices, my different colleagues, because the product marketing team didn't sit together. They were scattered by where the PM was based on the product ownership. And so I think that was one of my first really early impressions of, wow, it's so important. And this is how I've always approached product marketing, that product marketing, the first thing is you have to have a really tight partnership with your product team, product management. And so that was the impression that certainly lasted on me. And, and I think is it worked well for them because I think they did product marketing really well. And it's worked well for me in replicating that at some of the companies that, that I've been at. Yeah, I got it. Let's talk a little bit about Privy. And in particular, I think you all are, from what I understand, the number one rated app in, in the the number one rated app in the mar in the in the marketplace for Shopify. Is that right? Yep. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, I think we were one of the earliest apps and I think this speaks to sort of some of the growth that previous scene is Ben, our CEO, was smart and saw an opportunity to partner with Shopify, was pivoting the company. This is 2015-ish, I want to say. Saw an opportunity to get into Shopify App Store. This is after, you know, having a, an acquisition fall apart. Really, you know, this is actually all public. We've written about this. You know, Privy was actually at, at the very end of its days, I think in 20... 14 or 2013. I mean, it was around for a couple of years, got growth, was about to be acquired, the acquisition fell apart. And then in 2015, Ben saw, hey, this is this opportunity with e-commerce. We've seen some of our customers that have found us, are using us and, you know, oh, this is interesting. And they're on Shopify. So they were smart and they got in, the early team there got in on the Shopify app store early and it was a really good fit for something that Shopify didn't do. Pop-ups, displays, mostly the most basic thing was just a pop-up on your website to offer someone a coupon, collect their email address, Send them a follow-up email. Great. Here's your coupon. Give them the coupon code. And then you have a contact. You can use it with your email provider. You put that in your wherever you're using for email. And you've built a relationship and you've incentivized someone to make that first purchase. That was really the early concept. And it's grown since then. I think we have 24,000 or so reviews on the Shopify app store at this point, which is a lot more than any other app out there. There are some other very big apps out there, of course. But yeah, it's up to 24,000 now, which is, um, you know, I think... A lot of that is, is being early in there and, and being one of the first partners in the app store and, and providing a really good solution for merchants. Yeah. At what point did you all at Privy also add the SMS marketing to the mix? Did that come so after? That, yeah. So actually the order there was list growth displays first. That was 2015, 2016. I might even have that wrong. I mean, I, I think... Maybe the real launch there was 2017, but anyways, grew with that and then added email in the summer of 2019. That was before SMS. So email was the second real product added in. That was, um, I think it was summer 2019, uh, responding to MailChimp had left the app store. There was a big void. Okay, wait a minute. Well, we're doing list growth. We're helping capture these email addresses. Why can't we help them with sending these emails, right? Not just those follow-up emails with the coupon code. Why can't we help them send newsletters and abandoned cart sequences and all these really, really important emails that merchants need. And then later, I think it was, uh, I think it was actually 2020. It was, it was right before uh, the pandemic. It was like February or yeah, it was February, 2020 that we launched SMS, our first SMS product, which was pretty basic and just a little automation for SMS. But the way Privy's approach building products for small Shopify merchants, you know, we don't, we don't work with huge merchants that need all this compliance and all this, you know, all these integrations and all this reporting. We work with merchants that maybe started their shop last month or, you know, are, are approaching their first holiday season or, you know, are, are, are in the middle of growth and about to grow to the next level. But the way we've approached it with building products is just make it basic and simple. You know, we're not trying to build something complex. There's no branching editors, you know, in, in Shopify, those different flows, workflows you see in HubSpot and other platforms. It's basic, you know, um, and it's intentional that because like what our customers want is they want something they can plug in, get fast ROI, they can set up their emails, they can set up their SMS, they can build their displays, they can be growing their list. They want a product that's going to work for them and it's not going to require a bunch of work to get set up. And that's what we, I think we've really focused on. So SMS was- and, and the way that you all are onboarding, it looks like there's three different plans and there's a freemium. Is it a limited trial or is it a freemium plan, the privy free? So it's both. We have a trial and we have a free. So everyone starts with the trial. We want to give them sort of the full spectrum. So the trial is you can do all the display list growth, everything you want, grow as many SMS or mailable contacts as you want. 
Um, there's some email features in there, some sending limits. It's mostly because we can't give everybody access to email and an unlimited email usage. That's a big no-no from a compliance standpoint. So there's some email limitation. SMS is not in our free plan. That's the only thing in our product that, or in our platform that we don't offer free today. But the uh, the rest of it, email and, and, and list growth, those are both things that you can track for free. And then there is, after the trial, there is a, a free plan if you're under a certain you know, if you're a brand new store and you're just trying to build your first hundred contacts, we don't want to charge you. We want you to use us for free. And so if you have less than a hundred contacts, you can just use Purview for free. Are there certain signals that you see with the, with the new users who are either in a trial period or on the free plan that indicate that they're high value, that you can get salespeople involved to try to upsell them into one of the paid plans? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's really not super complicated for us in terms of those, that, that criteria. It's pretty similar to most other businesses. Do they have site traffic? How established are they? How long have they been around in Shopify? How long How long has their business or account been live? What subscription plan they're on Shopify, right? Like <clears throat> Shopify has Shopify Plus. We have customers, a good amount of customers. In fact, we're technically a Shopify Plus partner. And that's their enterprise offering. And so we, we have customers that come in and, and are on that. So a couple of different criteria there that indicates sophistication. Someone that's a little bit bigger, someone that might have 50,000 mailable contacts. Like they need a different experience than someone that just started their shop last week and doesn't, you know, I just wanted to start growing my list and I need an email provider. And great. For those people, we mostly can create a self-serve experience. We've done that for the most part in terms of the onboarding experience, giving them the different tools and the plays within our product. Hey, here's the, the welcome discount play. It's pre-built for you. Just go set this up in your campaign. Hey, you also want to make sure you're sending abandoned cart emails. Here's how to set this up. Hey, you want to send a newsletter. Here's a bunch of templates to send a newsletter. That experience is pretty good. But, you know, a more sophisticated customer like any business, we have a range of different profiles. That that person with 50,000 contacts and is, wants to try SMS and is, you know, has been collecting emails on their website, they need a different experience. And so we also have a sales team that that will work with customers like that. And when you're acquiring when you're acquiring new customers are is there is there a way to predict or forecast based on different signals or any enriched signals like Shopify Plus or something that would allow you to try to bid higher or to pay more a higher customer acquisition cost if you know that there's a, a if the future value is so much higher yeah i mean there there's probably the most basic one is just what's their site traffic Right, that's something that easy that any Shopify app partner can read for a merchant and see, you know, how much traffic are they doing, and that's an indication. If they're doing, again, it's the same sort of thinking as the fifty thousand contacts. If they're doing twenty five thousand or a hundred thousand or half a million page views a month, like they're going to be more successful with us because, or at least traditionally speaking, in the last couple of years, as we've mostly been a list growth company, as we transitioned to an email company, if you have more traffic, you're going to you're going to convert more contacts. You're going to get more ROI. You're going to you're going to be more successful with with Privy, and you're going to stick around longer. That's for sure. So I'd say that's probably the most basic criteria. Again, it's not a very complicated setup for us. I mean, it's not like we're selling you know a super sophisticated enterprise offering with a six month sales cycle, right? This is just classic product like growth. We have a good solution for merchants that are growing with shop. It's uh, list growth, it's email and it's SMS. And more and more of our customers are coming for us for email now. And so the criteria changes a little bit. Now it's maybe not how many page views you have so we can help you convert and build contacts. Now it's how many contacts you have, you can mail and you can drive sales with offers, holiday, new, new product launches, upcoming holidays, all that stuff. So it's not a very sophisticated thing for us. It doesn't have to be, it works, right? It's pretty simple. 
SMS is different too. And we're learning more about that because with SMS, you're going to want to start building. We, we work less, best for people that are just getting started with SMS. If you've already been doing, if you have some complex setup with SMS, we're not the right fit for you. That's okay. Our parent company attentive might be, but we're not at Privy. So with SMS, you're just getting started with that. That's a new area that we're now learning a lot more about. We have a lot of customers coming to us right now for SMS and wanting to try it. You know, it's one of the biggest fast and growing trends in e-commerce in the last two years is SMS. And yeah, and so like we've been learning a lot about what that flow looks like and what is the right criteria for us for a customer. And that's kind of a newer area for us um, in terms of identifying the right fit. But again, we've just had some, so much growth. We're trying to, okay, how do we how do we manage this and understand you know this customer profile a little bit better so that we can better onboard them and create a good self-serve experience for them as well. Yeah. Dan, wh- why did SMS marketing for e-commerce just really take off when it did. To me, it seems it seems it was a little late because it, it, it makes perfect sense that an SMS is so personal that your the viewability and click-through rates and open, well, open rates, I guess, they're going to be phenomenally higher than email. But why did, it, why did SMS catch on for e-commerce? What I believe is a little bit late. I don't, any particular theory on that? A lot of it was driven by the pandemic and like a lot of trends or new habits that were created during the pandemic, online shopping, right? I mean, the explosion in 2020 into 2021 of online shopping, social media, Twitter, Instagram, all these things took off because people were stuck home and more people were moving towards their phones. I think also that time period, people started realizing the trend got accelerated around moving away from email as your primary inbox to SMS as your primary inbox. And what I mean by that is email was, I think SMS was always sort of your personal inbox with your life for the last 10 years, let's say. And I'd say in the last four or five years, that's changed where now we're like, you know what, actually it is really convenient for me just to confirm that dental appointment via text. So why don't you just text me that? Cause I don't want to wait and go check my email. I got a million other things in email. Actually, it is a little easier for me to resubscribe to this product. If I just go into my text, I love this brand. I buy from this brand always like, let me, so I think just the habit, the habits became happened. And I think also the technology, like attentive, our parent company, they were founded, I think 2018 technically, but they really got the rise 2019, 2020. And since then, it's been insane, just the growth of Attentive. I mean, just insane how fast they have grown, how successful they've been. And that had to do a lot with, I think, the right timing and that people were starting to see this. The pandemic kind of accelerated it. And then a bunch of technology. There's other SMS providers across, even across retail, e-commerce, services, everything. SMS just became the primary inbox in just a faster, easier way. So I think think it was really more of a consumer thing, we started adopting that behavior and, and accepting that SMS was a better way to communicate and manage some of these really important conversations. And then I also think it's just the technology was like perfect timing, great, all this technology is here and they were getting crazy ROI. And so, oh man, this company, my competitor is doing this. E-commerce brands are just like B2B, right? You look at your competitors and you say, oh, what are they doing? Why are they successful? Like, oh, they're using, oh, they're doing SMS. Oh, I need to do that, right? We, we hear that all the time at Privy with our customers. Oh, I saw my competitor was using you guys. So I decided I wanted to jump in. That's true in e-commerce, it's true in B2B. And I think that also, you know, as soon as <clears throat> some of these technologies attentive and privy with SMS started taking off, competitors started looking at me like, all right, I got to try that too. And the ROI is there. It works. It's pretty awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've heard some ph- phenomenal ROI stories for, from uh, SMS marketing. And yeah, I guess it, a lot of it has to do with, yeah, timing the pandemic and people just becoming more willing to 
open up their SMS inbox to this, the circle uh, has grown. I mean, they're letting more people in and, and um, allowing more people to communicate because it's such a private, had, had been for so long, such a very, very private channel. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online, a performance marketing agency focused on high-growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. And you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P dot online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. I've been going through the website and I'm really struck by the learn section. Really, this is an indication of what looks like terrific content marketing. There's a blog, there's a masterclass, there's also e-commerce marketing school and uh, a marketing book. And then this cool Shopify grader where people can get their something like a health score of their Shopify site. It seems like there's a massive amount of effort going into content marketing as a whole. Can you tell me a little bit more about, about that sure. and how it's working? Yeah. Yeah. Glad you asked. <laughs> I didn't ask you to ask just for everyone knows, but that's a great thing to ask about. Cause I think one of the things that we've done really well at Privy is our content marketing. And as you just referenced, it is a super wide range of different types of content. We have an app, the Shopify store grader, where any merchant can plug in their Shopify store. And we actually have an automated system that goes through and grades them on conversion and reviews and website speed and SEO and all these different things that we built last year, which was pretty cool and pretty successful. Um, we've written two books. We wrote one book that we actually physically sold and we had it, we built our own Shopify store and we actually built the distribution for it, which wasn't, and that sounds more complex than it really was, but you know, we did that and, and we sent that out. That was in 2020. We did another book, a recipe book. We have a very active blog. We have a very active podcast. We're publishing four to five uh, episodes a week on our podcast. Content is a huge part of our winning recipe. It's a huge part of, of how we approach not just growing organic traffic or bringing new customers in the door, but how we educate our customers and 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 how we you know enable the teams around us. When when I give a I do the internal presentation for new hires intro to privy marketing. And I talk about the first slide I have is like, what are the three jobs that the privy marketing team has? The first one is tell a more compelling story than competitors. I think that's almost always the case. I think that's really, really important for any marketing team, tell a more compelling story. Number two is drive revenue for privy. And there's a bunch of ways we do that. But number three is educate our customers. And that's something that not every marketing team is going to be like, oh, educate your customers. Why is that your top three, one of your top three goals as a marketing team? Well, we've made a commitment as a team. This is something that's always important to Ben, and especially when we serve SMBs, is that like we're not just here to give you the product and, and let you be successful with it. We're here to help you be successful with it. Your success is our success. And we've literally tied that into our pricing strategy, right? So we we make that a big focus of ours. It's something that Ben, for instance, is very committed to. He does four episodes a week on average for the podcast. He's been doing that since September, uh, September 2020. Yeah, so that's a long time, almost two years of four episodes a week on the podcast. He's, he's hosting uh, so, them or he's just guest appearing on others uh, or both? He's hosting. No, he's hosting. He's hosting. Uh, usually these are five, 10 minute episodes. A lot of them are shorter. 
he talks to customers, some of them are interviews, some of them are just, you know, things he's been learning. He's talked to a customer and he wants to share some advice, but you know, that's a huge, huge channel for us to get out there and help, help our market and awareness. And so all of that effort, again, it isn't just, we look at that and say, Hey, how much traffic have we generated from that? You know, how many <clears throat> new customers, how many trials do we get from that? We look at it and we say like, Hey, how are we using this to reach our customers and make them more successful and not just show them how to use privy products, but you know, how do we, how do they think about approaching Black Friday every Monday? How do they think about your business plan or, or all these other things, right? And so it's a wide range. We hired some of our content team. So our content is led by Lauren. Um, she's a fantastic content marketer. She's done a great job. She's been with the team as long as I have, and it's been great working with her. We hired last year, Tony joined our team, who's a customer education manager. He's on the marketing team. He runs masterclass. He's producing videos every single week, pretty much, maybe two or three videos a week. We're now doing courses with experts from from the from across e-commerce, basically, or bringing in. He's got his own little setup in uh, in LA, his own little studio setup, and we just shoot videos and we educate customers. We do as much as we can. It's a huge mission as part of our marketing team, and and it's something that I think has been very successful for us. Yeah, you all clearly invest very heavily in video, especially. Why do you think video is so important now as a format for for marketing? Yeah, well, I mean, we've all become pretty accustomed now to video. I mean, everybody's like, okay, with video training and education, a lot less people are willing to do live training than they were five years ago, for instance. I think there's, there's more of an appetite for that on-demand type training. And so we've really invested in that. We have the big library of videos, whatever you need, basically with a video on it or a course on it. And, uh, and yeah, and it's particularly true for software, right? High quality, good education, a good teacher, you know, is going to, with software products is going to probably be able to move the needle a lot better than, and I'm in that one to many format than, you know, hiring a million person customer success team and trying to do it hand to hand. We've been pretty successful with that too, I'd say is just getting, having a wide range of of content. And it's not, again, it's not just video training content on our product. We, that is a component of it and that's important, but it's also just all the best practices, all the things that, a you know, an e-commerce merchant is going to be thinking about. And the way we want to approach is we, we're continuing to push that co content. We're a valuable brand to them, right? If we're just like, oh, I, I can follow Privy on Twitter or LinkedIn, or I can subscribe to their newsletter. And I know I'm just like, oh, I'm getting the stuff that's just going to continue to help me build my business and be more successful. And that's really some of the North Star with our content is that we're creating content that customers are loving and engaging with and enjoying. And that's that will continue to be our North Star for our content strategy. Again, just worked really well for us. Yeah. And what about on the paid media side? Are you seeing any particular breakthroughs with the classic channels like Google ads, paid search, or perhaps, I don't know, Facebook or LinkedIn ads, anything there that's really mm -hmm. standing out? Not particularly, to be honest. I mean, we, we also have a different channel and Shopify has an ad platform too. And we've, we've done a good amount with that. So an ad platform within their marketplace. Um, and so that's like another big channel for us from a paid media perspective. I wouldn't say in particular, we've, we've, we've tried some stuff on TikTok. We've been, we've had some good success on, on TikTok with influencer marketing. That's a little bit different. I think more B2B brands have, have jumped on that. I don't think there's a like a little cool way that we've done something different other than maybe TikTok that was a good example of trying something different. I think we we do what we should be doing on paid media. Can you tell me a little bit more about the TikTok campaign? That's very interesting. I haven't heard many B2B brands yeah. yet. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say my, I'll actually just give my advice to that one. So I think it's maybe a better way of, of answering the question. My advice for anyone, a B2B brand on TikTok is 
Hey, if you are discovering from your sales or CS team that like you have a customer or some customers that are starting to share you, like who you are on TikTok, go talk to those customers and work with them and figure out if you can get them to do more of it. And I think that's a good playbook now. I think that a lot of, not a lot, but I'd say some B2B brands are trying to say like, oh, how can I get someone to go on TikTok and start building, creating content about my brand? How can we start doing it? I think the best entry point is to wait for that inbound lead, so to speak, and like wait for someone who's already doing it and like who feels the passion or excitement about your product, go and actually share content. And they might not be TikTok. It could be Snapchat or I, mean, I don't know if that actually makes sense. I'm not really a Snapchat user, but it could be YouTube as well, right? Like if someone's creating content about you or they're excited about you, figure out how to work with that person. Like whether it's continuing to, for them to create content on their channel, bring them into your world, do a guest webinar with them or bring them to your conference, like whatever it is, like that should be your strategy. And that's like an influencer marketing playbook. And I think we're seeing more of that in, in B2B of like influencer marketing seems to be becoming more of a trend, but see if there's probably someone out there. And if they've had some success, this is what we saw. We saw someone with some success on TikTok sharing content on us and we decided to work with them, figure out how do we work with them. Wait for that, that person that's really passionate. I think when you try to force it, when you try to get someone to go create content on there, or you've got to try to get someone that isn't really interested in you and they want you to sponsor them. And Hey, we do this YouTube channel. If you sponsor us for this amount of money, we'll talk about you. I, I just haven't seen or heard a lot of success with, with those kind of situations. I'd say like, wait till you have someone that's just so excited about your brand, about your product, about what you're delivering to them that they want to create content on their own, figure out who that person is and, and figure out how to work with them. That's, that's my advice on, on sort of new channels and new influencer marketing. Yeah. Great. Do you believe that influencer marketing could evolve into this uh, web three concept where these influencers are incentivized with actual tokens that can increase in value that, that are somehow tied to the equity in the company? Yeah, I, I love that concept. I'm not really, I'm not really qualified to talk about web three. I maybe have read like one article on web three and, and so I, I probably not fully qualified to talk about what I think the future looks like marketing with web three, but that concept that you just described. I do love that. I mean, I do love the idea that you can get people involved. You can give them more incentive incentive to, to work with you and, and see your... It's one thing to pay someone. I think the traditional influencer playbook, and I'm not an expert here, but the traditional influencer playbook is probably you pay someone, I don't know, five grand a month to do a couple of videos on YouTube and okay, great. They're doing that. <clears throat> but I think if you... That can get stale really quickly and then you're like forcing the conversation if they're part of if they're incentivized by your growth and they're seeing you take off and they want to do more with you like that's going to become a better create better content create a better relationship and i think about like the concept of what you just described with them and and how much more fun it would be to have them be part of the team you know and so uh yeah i think i think that'll be really interesting i do think influencer marketing is has it got a strong potential in b2b and whatever that looks like in the future of what whatever the future of the internet looks like i'm pretty excited to explore that and figure it out I, I also have to admit, I, I am not qualified at all to talk about Web3. I'm just, just dan dangerous enough to, to bring it up in conversation. But I think about influencer marketing being also similar to affiliate marketing in a way that it's just, it's transactional. Um, yeah. The influencer or the affiliate is just working to get tra transactional revenue, whether that be a re rev share on a, on a sale, or maybe they just get some fixed price. But they pretty much get that transaction and then they move on, but they don't have a vested interest yeah. in the long-term success of the company. If they have a token and that token can increase in value as the company grows, you know, it's, it's kind of like making them a shareholder. And then they have the incentive yeah. to, to keep creating content to increase the long-term value 
Yeah. And maybe instead of giving a huge chunk of budget to Google ads and Facebook ads, you just take that same amount of money and you just tokenize, tokenize it and give it to the, the raving, your raving customers. Yeah. yeah. And I think but, that yeah, the that current be, rate of return cool on, future. on, yeah, I think it could be a very cool future. I mean, I think, but, but I also think like with the current rate of return on what you're getting on Facebook and Google and the decline in, in uh, attribution and, you know, the issues we've seen all sparked by those iOS and you know, Apple changes on privacy, you know, there are more marketers now getting creative and thinking differently about their budget and thinking about their, those influencer campaigns can create more ROI, even if in, in this current model, we don't have great attribution and all that stuff. A lot of that is impressions or sometimes it's graded by what the sales team is saying. We discovered our TikTok trend from our sales team. They're like, hey, we keep hearing of these. We're on TikTok somewhere. Someone's telling you know, people about Privy on TikTok. And we're like, wait, what? The market team had no idea that we went and found this person that was creating videos about us. There's several people that was creating videos about us, I think. I think that there are more marketers now that are thinking creatively about budget. And that is also one of the exciting parts about the future marketing is like, there are more like, yes, we're in under more constraints. We're going through a weird economic time with markets and we're seeing budgets get shrunk and, and hey, we had all these changes with data and attribution. We don't have all the data that we wanted to or the targeting that we wanted to or we used to have on Facebook and other places now. But I think that also sparks innovation. So like this, the concept we just were talking about with influencer marketing, like I think that gives fuel for innovative marketers to go out and figure out what those playbooks look like and, and drive real results for their businesses with these constraints that we're living under now. Yeah, certainly the times we're living in now, I, it, in a way, it feels a little bit like March or April of 2020 at the, at the beginning of the pandemic when there was a, mm -hmm. a lot of, I think, knee-jerk reactions uh, to, to the outbreak and people were just slashing, slashing budgets. And now I think it's, I feel like in some places it's starting to happen again where people are just moving, downsizing budgets really quick or freezing budgets. And, yeah. and it seems very reactionary. I've seen even the average cost per click on LinkedIn ads, which used to be seen as a very expensive click. I think that's now 50% down or the average CPMs wow. on, on, on LinkedIn. And mm -hmm. um, so maybe this is also the time to just start to, when everybody's zigging one way, you zag the other, I guess. And these platforms now may be underpriced, but it, it takes a little, a little bit of boldness to do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Great. Thanks very much for being with me, Dan. And where can people find you on? I mean, I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn, Daniel J. Murphy on there. Feel free to, to shoot me a note or, or connect with me there. Yeah. Well, I guess there's a lot of, there's a lot of Dan Murphy. So it's Daniel J. Murphy. So yeah. don't forget that. That was J. a little branding. Right. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Don't good, yeah. Good idea. Cool. cool. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure, Dan. Thanks for being with me today. Thanks, Paris. I appreciate it. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.